0: Welcome to the Shelf-Shedding Movie Show. I'm your host, Jason Dubray. Uh, For this episode, I'm going solo to discuss Noir November. Uh, I decided after uh, doing a few challenges in the last year or so to uh, do a personal challenge um, where I would look at, through the month of November of 2022, one film noir movie each day during the 30 days of november again i'm starting to enjoy these challenges more and more as i've been uh, looking at uh, now having done a couple with uh, october with horror movies and last february with funny february and then action april there but i just decided to do this one initially fairly quietly and then as the month went on just to see if i could keep going with it i did on the whole focus mostly on older films and in a few situations Uh, Just out of convenience or for whatever circumstance in each day, I did go to a more modern or neo-noir film instead of uh, uh, an older black and white film. But uh, I've decided to focus this episode on my 10 favorite films that I've watched in Noir November. And uh, again, I I decided not to use any of the modern ones. Uh, Exclusively the 10 movies I'm going to be focusing on, come from the uh, 1940s and the 1950s. Probably the best of these that I saw were through uh, the Criterion Channel streaming service, which heavily focused on noir films through November. They had actually two themes. They had Noir November, same title as this episode, and they also had 20th Century Fox uh, noir films that they were uh, featuring, which overlapped with the Noir November. So I ended up watching a lot of movies that Fox um, had produced kind of from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and uh, in kind of breaking this down, I uh, I was kind of keeping track and a little bit of a rating system for each one. And all of these movies are ones that I'd probably have on a four point scale, three and a half, four star type films. Uh, once we get to the uh, top of the list, there are a couple of films that now I might include as among some of my favorite films of all time. And so I think this was a good exercise in giving me a little bit. Uh, more more range in my movie watching and my history of the film noir genre. Uh, a genre that I certainly have always enjoyed, but in some ways have kind of um, experienced through neo-noir or kind of a 1970s uh, homages to this era. Uh, certainly Chinatown being one of my favorite films of all time. And then a couple decades later, movies like L.A. Confidential and uh, a movie that was featured a lot in my 50th episode. Uh, the hot spot that I uh, uh, really have grown affection for. Unfortunately, it has left my collection because of that episode. But, but going back to kind of the history of it and not simply focusing on, you know, the most famous actors from that time, um, Humphrey Bogart, of course, I've watched a lot of film noir uh, and Bogart films over the years. I did at one point try to watch a Bogart film, Uh, unfortunately with the streaming service I was using, it was cutting out and I decided to move on to a different film on on that particular day. So, um, Humphrey Bogart is not part of this, but, uh, you're going to be hearing the names, some repeat names of, of certain actors, just probably because of the nature of watching a lot of these on criterion. And also because I think that these were, this was kind of the, uh, the genre where some of these actors and, uh, some directors really shone in during, uh, during their, their careers, and it was just kind of good for me to just have a whole new list of actors that I've heard about, and I've heard the names, and I've seen the odd film here or there, but to really kind of immerse myself in it uh, for the for the month of November here. So uh, this episode is is primarily a top 10 list. I'm not shedding anything. On the whole, it, most of the movies I enjoyed, but there, there weren't a lot of movies that I saw uh, that I regretted seeing or thought it was a waste of my time. Um, and on average, too, these films were short. Some of them in the range of an hour to an hour 15, which is probably a good length uh, for some of the stories. Probably in the longer end were, were movies that were close to two hours, but not quite two hours. And it just seems to be again the nature of this genre. We we know modern films, action movies, horror movies uh, often are served a little bit better, um, depending on the the content and what they're dealing with. If they're in uh, kind of smaller bites in that hour and a half range but once you get into two and a half hours three hours it gets a little bit tough just probably because of the heavy nature of uh of some of these uh these films here so uh, i hope you enjoy this uh different episode of the shelf shedding movie show and the chance to hear a solo episode it's been a little while since i did one of these so starting off with uh, the 10th best movie that i saw for noir november this year it's a movie called the breaking point
1: I didn't believe it when you told me you were in love with him. A man can be in love with his wife and still want something exciting to happen. Mm -hmm.
2: You know how long I go to jail if they pick me up on this?
3: Ten years. At least that, if there was evidence against you. What's that for?
1: I don't want you to know about this, no part of it. If it comes off all right, I'll tell you about it sometime.
3: Yes, they say every man has a breaking point, but try to find it in Harry Morgan, two-fisted skipper in whose wake lies a trail of adventure that has taken him to strange places among men who live in the shadows beyond the law. Born for danger, he faced the deadly threat of guns, the greater menace of a reckless woman. Every challenge drawing him deeper and deeper into a whirlpool of hazardous intrigue. It's John Garfield as Harry Morgan, who sold his courage to the highest bidder. Patricia Neal as Leona. Easy to know, hard to forget. Where's the money for
2: me? You'll get it tomorrow. Don't get it now. You've got it on you. They wouldn't have set a time without making sure about me. She's got something for me. We're something together. Spoils everything else for me.
3: How do you know till you try?
2: Now, let's see the color of it, Mr. Singh.
3: I have the rest of the money right here.
0: Directed by Michael Curtis, uh, famously the director of Casablanca. A 1950 movie, and it's it's basically about a, a, a fisherman who is having some money problems, and he hires out his boat to uh, transport criminals in a bit of a desperate act, which uh, leads to all kinds of problems for him later on. Star of this movie is John Garfield, playing Harry Morgan, the uh, the, the fisherman, and um John Garfield's going to be mentioned quite a few times in this episode also in the cast Patricia Neal an actor that I really like my my experience with her was one of her last film roles a movie I quite like a Robert Altman film called Cookies Fortune where she's the older lady in that one and um, she's fantastic in this Um, and I also uh, will do a shout out to Phyllis Thatcher who plays John Garfield's wife, Lucy Morgan, in the in the film as well. So starting off with his strengths, I mean, it is certainly the performances. And, you know, John Garfield and Patricia Neal are movie stars, and they know how to play their roles well, and you cannot take your eyes off of these actors. But to me, actually, Phyllis Thatcher gives maybe the performance of the movie. It, it's, it's a tough one because she is playing um, essentially a late 40s, early 50s housewife. Uh, two kids, these adorable children that they have, and and she tries to be a supportive wife. But uh, as things unravel, we start to see the reality of their marriage and the tension in their marriage through the choices that uh, John Garfield has made. Patricia Neal um, is along on this ride for uh, uh, with these kind of rich, corrupt people, and she gets tangled into John Garfield's life. And there is definitely an attraction, as there is often in these movies, between the two of them. One of the best scenes in the film is actually when Phyllis Thatcher and Patricia Neal meet. Uh, John Garfield has problems, and he's gotten drunk in this in this bar where Patricia Neal happens to be. And then when Phyllis Thatcher comes to uh, pick him up from the, uh, John Garfield up from the bar, they they meet and they encounter each other. Uh, she immediately has caught. John Garfield in a lie where he described Patricia Neal's character as this uh rather unattractive uh, woman who was happened to be uh, on, on part of this trip and right away she knows that that's a problem the two women uh in that scene are just so good together and 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 Thatcher plays this subtext that uh you know stay away from my man for lack of a better term in there but keeping kind of this uh surface level politeness uh, both actors are are amazing in that scene. Not that Garfield is bad, but he's kind of ah uh, uh, knocked off the screen for a few minutes uh, by these two amazing uh, women. Uh, and I I do like that her character stands up for herself. Ah, uh, there are some, and I will point out with each of the films some some weaknesses. This often happens. It's kind of the nature of of this type of film where our our protagonist make some questionable choices and i don't always understand why john garfield's character does the things that he does which cause more problems for him um in the end uh, i might also uh say not, not to spoil it here but um i think the ending is a bit weaker than the rest of the film and i i think kind of in the third act there and towards the end uh, Patricia Neal's character is um, not served well by the ultimate story in the screenplay here. So if a tremendous actor who I, I think they thought would steal the film from everybody else and she has her scenes and her moments here. But it's actually the uh, the more domestic relationship in there that uh, that intrigued me. But the breaking point is uh, well worth people's time. My number nine film is uh, a movie going back to 1942. This Gun for Hire.
2: Who told you that? He was here looking for
3: you. And he'd better stay away from me. Veronica Lake, who burst on the screen like a blonde bombshell. Alan Ladd, who's dynamite with a gun or a girl. Together, they blast all screen traditions in this gun for hire. Drama-packed story of Philip Raven, who search for vengeance on the man who betrayed him, puts a hundred policemen on his trail and forces him to hide behind a girl. Watch it, copper.
4: It's Raven. Do what he says.
3: You stay where you are. There's a dragnet out for
2: you, Raven. It won't do you any good to hurt her, so use your head. You better stay put. Who trusts anybody? You couldn't very well complain to the police, could you? I'm my own police. What can you do? First, I'd find out who you're stooging for. And I'd give him what I gave Baker.
3: Don't I? I can't stand violence.
2: Then I'd whittle off a little of that blubber. You still want that stuff from Gates?
1: Of course I do.
2: Help me out of here and I'll get it for you. What was that hot air last night? That flag wave. Okay, I'll shoot it out with him. I hope your copper gets the first slug.
0: And it's essentially a movie about a a sadistic killer for hire um, who's named Raven. And he becomes absolutely enraged when his latest job is uh, when he gets paid off for his latest job in marked bills. And he vows to track down the double crossing boss. Uh, who's a nightclub executive named Gates, who has done this to him. Raven ends up sitting beside uh, Gates' lovely new employee, Ellen, as coincidence would have it. And I guess that will be the thing with this movie, is there's a lot of coincidences on a train, and uh, the two of them kind of develop a little bit of a friendship. So Ellen is engaged to marry, as it happens, the police lieutenant who is also trying to hunt down Raven. So that's the second coincidence that we have. Again, on a train from San Francisco to Los Angeles, Uh, there's a lot of people in the state of California whether this would actually happen, but if I question it too much, I guess we don't have a movie. So that's uh, that would be the drawback. Ultimately, Ellen decides to try and uh, help out this misguided hitman as he tries to hide away from the, the cops and continue his revenge plot against the people who have double-crossed him. Um, Really... Uh Really, really enjoyed uh, this film. It it stars a very famous actor of this time, Veronica Lake, playing Ellen Graham, central female character. Uh, our central character for the film, though, is Alan Ladd playing Philip Raven. And he is just outstanding. The intensity that he has from the first scene that he's in, uh, right, in right up to the last scene. We start off with a very uh, elaborate murder sequence and the movie has a, a good momentum to it. It's, uh, again, a, not, a, not a long set. It's a very, very solid film. And I think these the screen presence and the performances by um, Veronica Lake and Alan Ladd make the film perhaps better than uh, it actually is. And certainly, uh, the kind of a revenge story uh, works well. I, I would say if you've seen a lot of movies, you could probably predict where some things are going to go. Maybe questioning some of the choices, uh, Like, what is it about this guy that Veronica Lake's character, leads her character to take such risks with her relationship, with uh, her fiancé, and the danger that she puts herself in? What is it about this guy? I think I might buy it a little bit more if there was kind of a a romance or, or something. Some might argue that there is that kind of connection but it's not very fleshed out or explored in the film that much so just as far as a little bit of a a, a drawback uh, to the the story often the, the story is number one in these film noir film noirs from from the the 40s and in this this particular era but in this case i think it was just the 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 acting and the movie star quality of the performances put this film uh, kind of a notch ahead of uh, of some other ones that I was looking at for this top 10 for Noir November. Uh, This Gun for Hire is well worth your time uh, if you're able to find this uh, film that I don't think a a whole lot of people have seen. And maybe if you're a Veronica Lake fan, you might know about this one and and have checked it out. But like all the ones I'm going to be talking about in this episode, I, I would encourage you, if you're a fan of this genre, to check it out. Okay, my number eight film. This one's tough for me because I really feel like if there wasn't one element in it, it would be much higher on this list. Definitely might even be in the top three, top two or three, if it wasn't for this one element. Uh, This film is called The Naked City.
2: Behind the naked walls of this city, New York City, there are eight million stories. This is one of them. It starts with the murder of a girl named Jean Dexter. You have seen a thousand murder stories, but this one is different because this is the story of a live city, not a dead girl. The repercussions of this murder will change a dozen lives. In the homicide squad, good men will run every risk to hunt down a bad girl's killers. In this case, guided by the star of our story, Barry
3: Fitzgerald. A lovely young girl. Isn't she? Yeah. A lovely long legs. <laughs> yeah. Keep looking at him. Pleasure. What does a manhunt uncover?
2: Lots of things you'd never suspect. A wife's fears.
3: I don't like it every time you strap on that gun.
2: A mother's hate.
3: No bright lights for her now, is there? She's a rest now. I hate her. I hate her. Look, hey, look! Frank, I love you. I'll marry you now, tonight. But say you're lying about Jean. If you're a thief, I'll stand by. You are... will go to prison in a pig's eye, I will. Those things were presents, presents. You're lying, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. In this, send out an emergency.
1: Rush every available support car.
4: Drop off the streets, <laughs> ground it.
0: It's directed by Jules Deson. Uh This is a film that Film preser- Preservation um, and uh, I think Criterion and some other folks have uh, made it possible for this film to now exist in a digital form because there, over the years there were some sections of it that were lost. And uh, I, I'm, I'm happy that's the case with a few films on this list that it exists because it was just a, a a very interesting film that uh, examines a police investigation following the murder of a a young wo- woman, a model who gets murdered in New York City. And there's a veteran cop who's placed in charge of the case, and he sets up about with the help of other beat cops and other detectives in New York to find the girl's killer. And to me, that is the the strength of it. It's just an absolutely fascinating. Police procedural, led by a, a central performance which is just magic. Barry Fitzgerald is uh, is the star. Again, he he has one of those faces that I'm sure you've seen in in some other movies. Um, but he's archetypical Irish New York police officer playing a detec- detective lieutenant Dan Muldoon. And he smokes a pipe and he is always ahead of everybody. And he's an incredibly intelligent police officer. And his interrogation methods are, uh, are are really something to watch. And just as we watch all of the elements of this particular story uh, unravel, um, that's the performance I kept going back to. The, the movie is interesting no matter what, but the scenes where he is there, it has just such life to it. I, I guess... <sighs> you know, my, my my issue with it is that the producer of the movie, who was trying to kind of treat this as a bit of a, like a docudrama about uh, the, you know, the hard-boiled New York City world of criminals and cops, uh, decided to provide some voiceover narration. Now, voiceover narration, again, is part of the film noir genre. No, no judgment, no criticisms with that at all. But it's over the top where there are points where this producer starts to do the internal monologue for different characters as the story is being told, not very subtle. Uh, and it actually took me out of the movie in, in places and enough so that I had to not like knock this several places back, even though to me, it's still a, a strong, strong film. I, I just wish they had cut back on that a, a little bit. I mean, if you want to have a narrator, that's fine. If you want to have one of the characters, Narrate part of the story that is also fantastic i i, I really I really like those choices and that that when it when it's in control like this, but this was just this was too much, and it was almost spoon spoon feeding the audience uh at points and I don't know if they thought it was going to be building suspense. Or tension or what but it just simply did not work so sadly that that is a bit of a, a, a blight for me um, with that film I, I still appreciate it uh, a lot and you know if there was a version without that and just let what's happening on the screen happen or limit that that narration it, it would ultimately be a, a better film this is definitely a film that is known about and loved in film circles for sure uh, and for good reason, but I, I do want to focus on the positives here. Barry Fitzgerald's performance is terrific, and this is like a wonderful character actor role. He he leads this film well, and the, through all the twists and turns of this of this story, and uh, a, a thrilling climax with a a chase leading up to a character kind of moving up to like the top of the Brooklyn Bridge is it's just a a fantastic uh, way to sort of wrap up the film. Uh, It is not a long film again, and it is worth people's time. If you can stomach uh, the unnecessary uh, narration throughout. And it's just, again, it's, too bad it's in there but point made it's uh it's a it's a just a solid film and uh, one of the better police procedurals I've, I've i've ever seen to be to be honest and just kind of bogged down by a little bit of a convention at that time that was taken a little bit too far there but people should check out the naked city okay my number seven choice this is a film i've always seen the cover for and i've, I've wanted to see but i i had, hadn't had the chance until this month and it, it's a film called brute force
3: behind the grim walls and bristling battlements of westgate penitentiary live the men of our story you would call it a prison but to those who know it is one big human bomb ready to explode here are the conflicts and hates the desires and dreams of men who chose to live by brute force and now are chained by it burt lancaster star of the killers Ruthless ruler of the mob inside. Nothing's okay. It never was and it never will be. But we're out. You get that? Out. Hume Cronin, a rat in uniform. I'm the only one who can help you. Captain?
4: I'm a cheap thief. I know I'm
3: a failure. But I'm not an informer. Charles Bickford, trusted. But not too far.
2: That's right, Captain. Like the
3: book says, we always get what's coming to us. All of us. And the women on the outside. Yvonne De Carlo. Promise me you won't come here again. If the police should find you. And Blythe. Every time you walk out that door, I'm afraid you're never coming back. Ella Reeve. All my life, the one thing I really wanted was a fur coat.
2: Anita
3: Colby. Brute Force, the stark, savage, searing drama of killers behind bars fighting to get out to the women they can't be sure are waiting.
0: Directed by Jules Dassin and featuring some pretty well-known to this day prominent actors, and it is a prison film. And I, I do, I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm pretty certain that Frank Darabont watched *Brute Force* before he uh, put together *The Shawshank Redemption*, because there's some moments in *Brute Force* which seem very, very similar to *The Shawshank Redemption*. Totally different type of story, but, but it is involving a prison, and there is a, uh, a guard who is sadistic, to say the least. Different take on the warden, for sure. Uh, and there is uh, a, a prison escape angle uh, to this film as well. So there's time-worn Joe Collins um, and his fellow inmates live under the heavy thumb of, as I said, the sadistic power-tripping guard, Captain Muncie. Only Collins' dreams of escapes keep him going, but how can he possibly bust out of Muncie's chains in a very uh, difficult prison uh, to get away from? And uh, this this film stars Burt Lancaster. It's not the only time that Burt Lancaster vehicle is going to end up on this list. He plays Joe Collins, and in, in an interesting choice for me. I didn't quite know that he had this in him, because I always remember Hume Cronin as being kind of... Uh, Jessica Tandy's husband and the old older man from movies like Cocoon and some TV movies a little bit later in his life, the, the TV version of 12 Angry Men, for example. But he is Captain Muncy, and he is he is absolutely horrible. He's a horrible person. He's a guard. He would like to be the warden. In this case, the warden is a little bit more understanding of the prisoners and is in danger of losing his job because it's been spun that he is, you know, letting the prisoners have a bit too much freedom. And so we're having two extremes with the leadership in the prison, which is uh, affecting, affecting things. But, because Captain Muncie is so evil, that leads the prisoners to want to escape way more than anything else. I also want to mention great performance from Charles Bickford. He plays Gallagher. He's a, a lifer in the prison, and he's kind of like the kind of like the boss among the prisoners, and he 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 runs things. And we see him as a little bit in opposition to uh, Bert Lancaster, and him and his cellmates drive to. Uh, to to uh, to get out of the prison initially, but when certain things happen, then Bickford uh, gets on board and they they plan a a, a very elaborate prison escape, which uh, it leads to quite an exciting sequence. I, I think you know one one of the. Uh, the big strengths of this film is Richard Brooks, a uh, very talented writer-director, um, was the screenwriter for this uh, this film. And the performances are excellent, and it it is dark. In 1947, it, it goes to some pretty horrible places, in particular one sequence where Hume Cronin's character, Muncie, actually goes about lying to a prisoner to force him into committing suicide to as a bit of a, a power play to try to get the wardens fired and to get his job. I uh, so it, it is it is a nasty film and, and mostly effective. I would say that we we take a lot of time for flashbacks to uh, a lot of the prisoners' lives beforehand and while they how they ended up in prison and kind of the things on the outside world that they are longing for I think this is most effective with Burt Lancaster's character he's in a situation where where, where his his wife need, needs uh is sick and 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 needs some money and needs some support and he's stuck in prison so uh get his drive for sure to uh to to escape there because of that but some of the other sequences felt like they you know were a little bit of filler I guess um but I it, I think it was an attempt at balance to, so that we get to know each of these characters a little bit better before we uh we look at the uh, the escape so uh, they don't rush into that moment and so that's that's probably a good thing in a way. I would say that probably that one of the issues is as much as Hume Cronin's a great actor, I think I I think Captain Muncie is a two dimensional villain. I I just don't see any good qualities to him. There there's no everybody knows how horrible he is. He is just evil, evil, evil. There's there's nothing in there, even in the scenes where he's meeting with prison officials. Like he he just stays. The same, and uh, I, I just wanted to see another side to that character, which I think, you know, in some ways, uh, Frank Darabont was very successful in *The Shawshank Redemption* at doing with uh, with his his villains who ran the Shawshank prison and then on the other end uh roman bornen who's playing uh warden barnes he's a bit of a cartoon character too because he is so uh super understanding and so kind of almost buddies with some of the prisoners too and he questioned how he, he got to his job too because there has to be kind of another side to this guy for him to be entrusted to run this prison ahead of time so i think those characters maybe needed to be fleshed out a little bit in the way that they had uh given three dimensions to. Uh, so many of, uh, not just Burt Lancaster, but so many of the, the secondary characters and, and prisoners. Lancaster's great, uh, but I again, the performance that I think is the best is Charles Bickford as Gallagher, and we see the change in this guy as the film goes on, and again, some, some of the actions that take place uh, towards the end and the sacrifices that are made by prisoners for things to be uh, better, and I, I think in some ways this... <laughs> A little bit of a prophetic film because I've watched some documentaries on prison escapes and, uh, and you know, for example, in New York, the Attica prison um, and uh, just just different situations with uh, where prisons have uh, above and beyond been. Prisoners have been abused by the system and things are not working. This is many years before that, and they do uh, just a, a fantastic job of dealing with this subject matter. So Brute Force is a a, a dark film noir. It is a prison film. Uh, I think if you like The Shawshank Redemption, you're going to like this film. If you like these actors: Burt Lancaster, Hugh Cronin, Charles Bickford. Then it is it is well worth checking out, and it's a good look at a, a prison system in the late uh, in the late '40s, and uh, it's quite a progressive film in many ways. So it is well worth your time. All right, my number six film, and and, and this comes from a quite a well-known uh, filmmaker, Robert Wise, and uh, this is a 1951 film called The House on Telegraph Hill. <music>
4: I
1: was just looking around.
4: He's trying to kill me.
3: Hey, hey, let's not go off the deep end again. You've had a bad shock. Now, who's trying to kill you? Alan. Alan? It wasn't just Chris and me. You had to kill Aunt Sophie first. You sent me the cable that she was dead and, and then you killed her. You think
2: it's easy to kill somebody? It takes time and patience and courage from their strong stomach.
3: Oh, stop it! Stop it! I don't want to hear anymore. You're a You took him away from me. You tried to take Chris away from me too, but you won't have either of them, whatever happens. Oh, Margaret! Lisa, get get out. out! This is still my room, now get out!
0: the title before but i hadn't watched uh this film and uh it it's one of the lo- more it was one of the longer and more elaborate plots and, and uh, of, of of the films that i watched uh over the month it is a 1951 movie that addresses the holocaust and focuses around a polish co- concentration camp survivor victoria koleski who finds herself involved in a um, A mystery, greed, and murder when she assumes the identity of her dead friend from the camps in order to find a a way to get passage to America. She, in desperation, makes some choices, but then life becomes very, very strange once she moves to the house on Telegraph Hill. Robert Wise, of course, he's just a fantastic filmmaker, and some years later, the movie The Haunting... Uh, was directed, directed by him, which I think is actually one of the best horror movies of all times. And he knows how to build suspense in a big, creepy house, and uh, and he does that very well in the house on Telegraph Hill. Starting off with, with strengths from this film, I, I think the, the Holocaust sequences at, at, at the beginning are well handled. And again, this is only about six years or so after the war has ended, so they this is a time where where films in the world is still trying to address the atrocities that happened in world war two and, and, and the arts are kind of starting to bring them into, into cinema and into books and novels. And this case, you know, a a fictional piece, but, but one that, that works well, as I said, Robert Wise, his direction of the film is just uh, flawless. You know, I really like this filmmaker and particularly like when he, when he is a, a story like this to um to bring out kind of the like the different dimensions of, of it and then and, and and it works really well. I I, I on the whole I like the performances. I don't think the acting was kind of the uh the strongest part of the film is it's more the direction and 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 the story itself. But I I think Valencia uh, Cortez, who plays Victoria kaleska centers the film quite well. Um but I actually think the, the best performance is Faye Baker. So uh, a lot of the film centers around the fact that uh, this this woman who died in the Holocaust, whose identity Victoria has taken over, has has this son, and she had this 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 baby who never knew her. And there's uh, Margaret, who has been kind of like uh, a a pseudo mother t- until Victoria shows up at the house, and she quite loves this this little boy. And so she stays on as basically a nanny governess type of an idea here. But uh, that's maybe the best performance in the film. It's a supporting performance. She's got a bit of a complicated story. You know, it starts off feeling like a little bit of a cliche. She's very passive-aggressive and antagonistic towards Victoria early on. And you think it's uh, one reason, but as the, the plot unfolds, there's a lot more going on with that character. And I, I kind of think that's as as much as the uh, the, the cast is solid that's the best performance for sure in in the film. there's a kind of a an interesting car chase sequence where at at one point uh Victoria is in a car where the brakes have been tampered with, and so we're seeing this car flying out of control in uh, San Francisco, not the only time that we will have seen that in film and years to come we're gonna be seeing bullet bullet being the most famous one and um and a few other films with car chases in in san francisco but in in this case this is some several years before you know kind of what they could do in the kind of 1970s and onwards with car chases and films and i think they just did a a wonderful job of of directing uh, that particular sequence i there's points when i wonder if this is a little bit more of a drama than a film noir but it has enough dark elements and double crosses and who can you trust and people have hidden agendas that uh it 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 does ultimately work as a film noir uh i might argue as far as uh not to ruin the ending but some things might work out a little bit too conveniently given all of the levels of 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 plot development and, and and what's kind of going on in this film up to this point if you think a little bit about some plot twists particularly uh surrounding um some characters and uh, particularly with the Margaret character, that we kind of find out some stuff towards the end. I'm not sure everything completely adds up. I, again, I intend to watch this movie again at some other point and, and watch it and kind of pay attention to that to see if uh, if on a second viewing I'm buying it a little bit more. Uh, again, uh, it, it seems like a bit of a theme with some of the movies I'm talking about. There's some coincidences... Uh, in the plot, too, that I just don't think make a whole ton of sense. Um, there's uh, William Lundigan plays Major Mark Bennett, and he's uh, he, he's uh, actually the person who processes Victoria uh, when she's trying to, after, after the war is over, and she's trying to get to America, and so he's met her. And then, once she's in San Francisco, he happens to live there and happens to be connected to uh, the person that she's married and is her husband now living in Telegraph Hill. And again, of all the people in the world over in Europe and then to encounter him again, and he's really close to the family in this situation. Uh, I Again, I, I, again, if I'm fighting the movie, I'm going to be fighting it on that point, but then I'm probably not going to be having uh, as good a time with it as I did. But uh, just the level of, of suspense and there's some creepiness to it and the car chase and the, just it, how well handled it is. Uh, the House on Telegraph Hill is well worth your time and definitely uh, th- there's a reason that that title rings true for those who are film fans and I'm glad that I have now watched it and can vouch for it as being a, just a, a, a very strong film and uh, one of the best uh, that I saw this month. Okay, my, my number five film. This is the second uh, movie that stars uh, Burt Lancaster. Um, the Sweet Smell of Success. Bert
4: Lancaster as J.J. Hunsecker, world-famed columnist whose gossip is gospel to 60 million readers. Tony Curtis as Sidney Falco, the kid who had ideas about taking over. But we happen to know I'm your star pupil, because I reflect back to you your own talent.
3: I'd hate to take a bite of you. You're a cookie full of arsenic. <laughs>
4: Don't turn your back on him. You might find a knife in it. This is their story, and that of the big shots and big names who worship the sweet smell of success. Along Broadway, throughout Hollywood, down Wall Street, on Capitol Hill, sweet smell of success. We're friends, Holly.
3: We go as far back as when you were a fresh-kid congressman, don't we?
4: Why is it that everything you say sounds like a threat?
3: Maybe it's a mannerism, because I don't threaten friends.
2: But why furnish your enemies with ammunition? And here you are, out in the open, where any Hep person knows that this one
4: is toting that one around for you. Sydney is a great salesman. He'd sell anything to get there. Just ask his girl.
1: Sidney, I don't do this sort of thing. What
4: sort
2: of
3: thing? This sort of thing. You need him for a favor, don't you? Well, so do I. I need his column tonight. All you think about is yourself and your column. You see yourself as some sort of a a national glory. To me and lots of people like me, your your slimy scandal and your phony patriotics, to me, Mr. Hunsecker, you are a national disgrace.
4: Burt Lancaster as the almighty J.J. Hunsecker, Tony Curtis as his man of all dirty work, introducing Susan Harrison and the Chico Hamilton Quintet.
3: You put your hands on my sister. Change it.
0: Change it. I didn't do anything. Stop! Stop. Directed by Alexander McKendrick from 1957. And uh, this is a quite a famous film. It also stars uh, Tony Curtis. And so we have two big movie stars heading heading this film. Set in uh, New York City uh, where there's a newspaper writer named J.J. Punsecker played by uh, Burt uh, Lancaster. And he holds considerable sway over public opinion with his... Broadway column. Uh, but one thing that he can't control is his younger sister, Susan, who's in a relationship with the aspiring jazz guitarist named Steve Dallas, who uh, he does not approve of. Hunsucker strongly disapproves of the romance and recruits a publicist, Sidney Falco, uh, to find a way to split the couple, no matter how ruthless the method. And with Sidney Falco, he is just trying to get the artist that he represents to be mentioned in the column because that uh, has the power to make them successful in show business uh, in New York City. So it's, it's an interesting film and it's mostly a kind of a showbiz satire about New York at the time, critical of the media, particularly the idea of a gossip columnist. But it's, as the story goes on, it gets darker and darker and darker. And that's, that's part of what I admire about it is it's darkness and Of course, it's performances. The interesting thing, though, about it is, uh, you know, top billing is Burt Lancaster, and it's probably his status at the time was higher than Tony Curtis's. Uh, Recently reviewed some like it hot and had a few qualms about Tony Curtis's performance in that film. But here, Tony Curtis is the central character, and he drives the film. He's in nearly every scene in The Sweet Smell of Success, and it simply doesn't work without him. Burt Lancaster is kind of like a very featured supporting player here, but his character is so big and important and dynamic and, and a movie star type of performance that his scenes resonate so much. So I, I kind of understand why he's given the lead, but it seems like Tony Curtis is having to work a little bit harder in this film um, to sort of keep it going. And, it, and the, the film definitely relies on uh Tony Curtis to uh to keep the energy up. Movie moves at a, a very fast pace. It is again one of one of the longer ones of the ones that I watched uh, for Noir November, but it doesn't feel it because it, it keeps going at that pace. The other thing I have to say about well well, my favorite performance is Tony Curtis, burt Lancaster. If you watch Brute Force and then you watch the sweet smell of success, you are looking at two very different people in the same body. I think the brute force was what he was known for as being kind of a heroic type of a character but once in a while he would play a villain and a villain with multiple layers and i would say that like you know, he is he is definitely his level of control that he he wants to have over everybody especially his sister and the lengths that he's going to go uh show how uh how nasty that this this guy is and he almost relishes in it and it's uh It's a a very good performance in that way. The darkness towards the end, I mean, there is a sequence here where Susan Hunsucker, played by Susan Harrison, some things that happen towards the end of the film... Uh, she actually tries to kill herself, and that is, and, and that ha- is handled in quite, uh, quite explicit detail. Again, this is 1957. This is actually a little bit later and kind of one of the newer of the films from Noir November that I saw, but it, it, it deals with the suicide attempt in, in kind of a frank manner, but it... It's interesting how it's used to cause some problems for, for Tony Curtis's character towards the end there and create some uh, real tension in the third act. So, And the satire, as I mentioned, is, is strong from the beginning, and there are almost some uh, darkly co- comedic scenes uh, in there, and I just don't know if it's because of the nature of Tony Curtis who... Who could be quite funny at times as we watch him scramble around and try to uh, deal with things? Uh, you know, I had mentioned with brute force. I, I I thought of the the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, the sweet smell of success reminded me of a 1980s Woody Allen film, Broadway Danny Rose, and I, I I I feel like the Tony Curtis character and the Woody Allen character in that are somehow closely connected, even though the the nature or the places that Tony Curtis goes. Are, are quite a bit darker than than woody allen's character goes in uh, broadway danny rose so weakness I, and this is the case with a couple of the films that i saw and i again it, i think it works for film noir it might not work for if, if i was talking about romantic comedies or some other types of films here but in, in this one it, 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 a bit of trouble caring about any of the characters like they're they're all kind of horrible people and i don't always mind that in a film and but it mean, meant that they had to have really good actors, which they did, fortunately, to get us to like them. So we like the actors, and by doing that, they make these horrible people a lot more interesting and a lot more charming. But am I supposed to side with Tony Curtis, who is manipulative and will literally do anything to try to get the attention of, of this writer and and to help to help him financially? Am I supposed to like Burt Lancaster, who is going to control his sister and is willing to plant drugs on people and uh and allow people to do whatever he wants them to do to get his way is this somebody that we're supposed to like there are kind of problems when we take a look at 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 all these characters there's a a corrupt police officer that's also in the mix there that's on tony curtis's tail throughout the film uh, and is happy again to plant drugs on uh, an innocent person so it's the nature of a film noir but this this is another one that branches out into a few different genres as well uh, quite successfully and so I enjoyed the sweet smell of success I think some people might think it should be a little bit higher on my list here Are they, I'm, uh, and maybe it's just because of that thing about not caring about the characters that's where I'm still a little bit at an arm's length with this one as opposed to uh, uh, the the next few films that I'm going to be talking about. Okay, then ironically enough, my number four film, I just talked about a movie, Sweet Smell of Success, where I had trouble caring about the characters. This is another one where I'm not sure if there's a likable character in there, but it's, uh, again, a fairly famous movie and a movie that was remade at, at, at one point in the early 80s. The film is called The Postman Always Rings Twice.
2: for something to happen to Nick?
3: Something like that. Cora. Well, you suggested it yourself once, didn't you?
1: I was only joking. Were you? Yes, I was.
3: Or had you started to think about it a little?
1: Maybe I said it, but I didn't really
3: mean it. Well, I say it again now, and I do mean it. Frank, Frank, listen to me. I'm not what you think I am. I've made a big mistake in my life, and I've got to be this way just once to fix it. They hang you for a thing like that. Oh, but not if you do it right. And you're smart, Frank. You'll think of a way plenty of men have.
1: He never did any harm to me.
3: Darling, can't you see how happy you and I would be together here without him? Time for that kiss. (laughs) When we get home, Frank, then there'll be kisses. The kisses with dreams in them. Kisses that come from life, not death. I hope I can wait. Frank! Look out!
0: by Tay Garnett. It's from 1946. Essentially it is about a, uh, a married woman who lives in this diner uh, and gas station and she's married to a much older man. And then one day a drifter comes by and is offered a job by her husband and she falls in love with him. And then through a set of circumstances, not completely unmotivated and not just about the romance, but the two decide to plot to murder the husband and then we start to sort of see how how things unravel from there uh, I, I do like films like this set in a, a, a small town setting and in kind of a, a gas station or or a diner or that kind of thing and kind of watch how uh, how the movie unfolds John Garfield's been mentioned uh, several times he's he's the director, uh Frank Chambers um, Lana Turner is the biggest movie star in this film, and she plays Cora Smith, the wife, and Lana Turner does give a very, very good performance. They were probably my top two as far as femme femme fatales in here. I also, uh, Cecil Calloway uh, plays um nick smith and uh he is the uh he's the the owner of the restaurant diner and the and the gas station and i what the problem is essentially here i guess that you know john garfield is this drifter criminal cora smith lana turner is finding a way trying to find a way out of this marriage and um you know initially kind of wants wants Frank out of her life because she knows that she's attracted to him and this is going to lead to some dark places. But when you look at how things play out, I mean, she, she is kind of a bit more of the mastermind uh, behind what happens in this film. And then Nick Smith, played by Cecil Calloway, as I said, he really wants to control his wife and makes decisions, um, says, oh, we're moving up to Canada uh, so you can take care of uh, this relative who is uh, who, who is kind of helpless and and, and needs support which is not what she wants and makes the decision without consulting her which motivates her to amp up this I- idea of uh, committing um, this murder. Hume Cronin mentioned earlier with Brute Force uh, a different type of character but uh, no less sleazy he, he he plays he plays a lawyer who is uh trying to find a way to get Cora off of uh, some charges later on in the film. And his involvement kind of in the third act is uh, is really interesting. And, and he's an uh, in, important player in that. And again, a, just a, a solid actor for that. I, I I might say he has a few more dimensions in in this role than he did with um, less screen time and The Postman Always Rings Twice. Than he had in brute force but he he's got a few more layers to his character uh, I, I i i i like the actors Gar- garfield is is terrific uh turner is awesome I, I i mentioned a lot of this the the murder plot and uh like the, all of these cover-up schemes are very compelling and you're just watching in real time this journey happen and you're watching characters make mistakes and you're like no don't do that don't do that that means that you are engaged in the film and uh, i think this is a very engaging film and I, I i enjoyed it a lot for lana turner i'm glad that she's in the role and they needed an actor that good to uh, play this this rather horrible character because once again we're in a situation where we're having at moments to kind of cheer for and hope that these characters get away with things that we probably shouldn't be hoping that they do. And that's just because the actors are so good uh, at, at, uh, at doing that. This is another one, again, where I question the decisions. Uh, and again, this is not just kind of on a plot level, but just as far as Jonathan Garfield's characters, there's this one decision which, again, makes next to no sense that causes him all kinds of problems late in the film where... You know, just he just randomly sees this beautiful woman, and he decides to pursue uh, this relationship and it fling essentially for a week or so. And why he does that, other than to cause problems for him in the third act, I I, I don't know. And so that's that's the only kind of the the few picky moments where I was having some problems with it. But all that said, uh, this is a terrific film. There's a reason it's a classic. I have yet to watch, as much as I, I love. The actors involved, um, Jack Nicholson in particular, I think will be, I'm sure is quite good in the remake, but I have never watched the remake of The Postman Always Rings Twice. I, I'm curious to explore that at some point, but I'm glad I saw the original first and I, uh, I really, really enjoy this film and it is number four on my list. Okay, so earlier I had mentioned that I did try to watch a Humphrey Bogart movie. It was actually on the last day uh, on November the 30th. Uh, that didn't work out so uh, instead I had to uh, poor me I had to settle for Robert Mitchum uh, you know Um, but uh, it was a terrific uh, it's number three on my list and it's a terrific uh, final day of Noir November where I watched Out of the Past You've been a lot of places haven't you?
4: One too many
3: Which did you like the best?
4: This one right here
3: I bet you said that to all the places.
4: Please tell me, Jeff. Well, our friend Markham lived in New York. He worked with a sort of stupid oily gent by the name of Jack Fisher. We called ourselves detectives. Find her,
2: Jeff. Bring her back. What happens to her? I won't touch her.
4: Okay. Oh, by the way. You mind telling me your name. Kathy Moffitt. Thanks. And then I saw her. Coming out of the sun. And I knew I didn't care about that forty grand. I
3: could have run away last night. I'd find you. Yes I believe you would.
1: You glad you did.
4: I don't know.
3: I didn't know what I was doing. I, I didn't know anything except how much I hated. But I didn't take anything. I didn't, you? will not you
4: believe me? Baby, I don't care. Beat it. Look at all the angles. You know wit and
3: you know how far he can reach. So just pay me off and I'm quiet. But use cash. Don't try to pay me off with pitch handed to you with this cheap piece of baggage. They say you killed a man.
4: Do you believe him?
1: Not until you tell me.
4: You believe everything I say, don't
1: you? Everything you say to me, I believe.
2: You know, a dame with a rod is like a guy with a
4: knitting needle. What's he doing here?
0: Directed by Jacques Tournier, starring um, the late, great Robert Mitchum. Out of the Past is uh, essentially about uh, Jeff Bailey, who uh, runs a gas station uh, and... ...in this remote town called Bridgeport, California. And he has an employee, uh, this young man who uh, is, 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 is mute, who's kind of like his sidekick. And he's dating a local girl named Ann Miller, and he lives a pretty quiet life. But he has a uh, secret past, Out of the Past is a title, so you could probably predict that one. And when a mysterious stranger arrives in town, Jeff is forced to return to the dark world... He had tried to escape again. I like to make connections to uh, some more modern films. I, I saw a lot of uh, a history of violence. The wonderful David Cronenberg film in Out of the Past. This is certainly its its own thing. Another kind of California-based, Northern California-based uh, crime story. Master filmmaker Jacques Tournier, who elevates uh, this story, but it, and it is a fairly elaborate story where uh, again somebody sees the sign with his name on it uh, from his past, and uh, there's something that that Robert Mitchum has done that has caused problems. The other big name movie star is Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas is a very fun villain in this piece. He's he's a he's a bit of a you know criminal boss, very successful guy, and as we find out in the exposition, which I guess that's my biggest criticism is there's a bit of a, a clunky way that they handle the backstory. It's has to do with Mitchum um, confessing to his girlfriend what his past is while they take this car ride. And then we're watching the whole, for probably about 20 minutes, the whole story of um, what happened here where Mitchum was hired by Douglas to find Douglas's girlfriend who's who's run off. And then when he finds her, he falls in love with her, and the girlfriend is played by Jane Greer, uh, playing uh, Kathy Moffat. And then he tries to pretend and cover up the fact that he's found her and that they've started a romance. When Douglas and uh, his henchmen come along to sort of see how things are progressing, and this is leads into what happens later, which is okay, the boss now that knows where uh, that Jeff Bailey is actually that Jeff Markham was his past name, but uh, who Jeff Bailey and Jeff Markham are the same person that where he lives, he has to go visit the boss and and see him again. And then we, we kind of see how he's being set up for something as a bit of an act of revenge. But Kathy, played by Jane Greer, is still in the mix because she is now, after doing some things to uh, screw over Mitchum before, is back living with kirk douglas and is is right in the midst of this rather elaborate situation and scheme in san francisco where there's somebody who has some dirt on kirk douglas and send mitchum to do the job and he is a very intelligent character and he is several steps ahead of of everybody involved here but he's also in this place where he's trying to protect his small town Life, his small town girlfriend, and he does, in fact, still have feelings for Jean Greer, uh, which get exploited kind of uh, towards the end of the film. But it doesn't. After everything that happens, it it doesn't end in kind of a neat way, or, you know, w- w- which I would see in, in in some of some of the movies. I mean, there's a kind of a real darkness to it. Uh, it's, you're left thinking a little bit about the. Uh, Robert Mitchum's character and his motivations towards the end. Um, and again, it, it wasn't just like, watch that. I enjoyed that. And, and I'm moving on with my life. Still these days after watching out of the past, I, I'm, I'm still reflecting on what actually was kind of going on between uh, some of these characters too. So um, Mitchum, it, it goes without saying that he is just amazing. And he centers the film and he's in so many scenes and he's the energy of the film but Kirk Douglas. He, he doesn't have a, as much screen time, but genuine movie star who makes full use of every scene that he's in. And we think we do think at points that he is kind of the main baddie in the film, but as happens in Film Noir, there's a lot more going on and who is the true villain of this piece. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that for you to uh, to decide if uh, you haven't seen if you see out of the past because it's it, it's it's well worth your time. I guess I've mentioned a little bit of a criticism. I wasn't a big fan of of doing the backstory through this flashback sequence uh, the way it happened. But again, early on, I wasn't sure that the movie was as great as I thought it was going to be because of that, but it's a short chunk of the film ultimately. And once we get back to the present and start moving, forward with it the uh the story uh, picks up steam again and is and it is, is very intriguing the other question i have at the end is for the ann miller character played by virginia houston when we look at this movie i i think some people might be or the filmmakers might be said trying to suggest it's a happy ending for her uh if you watch this i just want you to think about that and you know if you ever want to sort of send uh some feedback here to the shelf shedding movie show let me know what you thought about that if you think it's a happy ending or is there something else kind of going on uh for the end for for her character but uh she's very good in the film she's kind of down the list here as one of the supporting players but uh i i think she holds her own with uh jane greer who's given a, a really interesting character to play in this film and with douglas and mitchum who are just uh, heavy hitters i mean you, if you can keep up with actors like that and stay on the screen then you are you are doing good things here so um out of the past great way to end noir november yet uh it was number three there were just a couple other movies i saw earlier in the month that i uh enjoyed more and and ended up as one and two on the on the list here but people should check out out of the past. Okay. My number two film is called kiss of death.
1: Good evening, Mr. Mr. North and South American, all the ships at sea. Let's go to press. This is Walter Winchell broadcasting from Hollywood. I just came from a projection room at 20th century Fox studios, where I saw a picture of my town, New York, and my time. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the title of this moving picture is kiss of death In underwear lingo, A kiss of death can be many things, none of them good. A pat on the shoulder from a pal that turns into a bullet in the back, or a kiss from a woman's warm lips that sends the victim to the morgue. Like Boomerang and the house on 92nd Street, this one has authenticity stamped all over it. It is red meat. It is factual. It's a close-up of the tenderloin in action. Its tempo is terrific, and its story is that of a squealer. In Underworld Code, a squealer is marked for death. One man sneered at the cold, squealed, and didn't die. That's what makes Kiss of Death such a gripping and exciting moving picture. Kids like to
0: have fun.
2: We'll all have some fun together. You and me and your wife and your kids. Touch my family and you'll hear singing like you've never heard before. Go on, beat it. Nick, he's a three-time loser now. All we've got to do is catch him with a gun on him and we can send him up for life. And suppose he don't make a mistake. He didn't the last time. You made the mistake. Sooner or later, he'll trip himself up. They all do. You've got to trust me. I'm through trusting you, the police, or anybody but me. There's only one way to get you, though. And that's my way.
1: If you like action as I do with entertainment, you will find it here. This one... ...was written with a machine gun.
0: Directed by Henry Hathaway from 1947... And I had heard of this film before there was a 1990s remake. So this is the case, unlike with The Postman Always Rings Twice, where I saw the remake before I saw this one. It's been a long time since I saw it. I remember enjoying the remake. It's David Crusoe and Nicolas Cajun in it. And I think it's like quite a wild film. And I'd love to get a, a hold of it. I don't own it or anything uh, to, to revisit it someday. But um, the Superior film is the older Kiss of Death from 1947, and essentially we we have an ex-con who is trying to go straight, doing everything in his power to go straight, but uh, he must face this uh, crazed criminal who is out for revenge, um, and is ultimately out for revenge for him. We we start off. I mean, this movie has such great momentum. It, it starts off with a, a real intense robbery. And it keeps going from there. An actor I'm going to be talking about again in in a few minutes here. But Victor Mature um, plays Nick Bianco, who ultimately gets caught for the robbery and goes to jail. And he refuses to be a rat. He refuses to cooperate with uh, with the police and with the district attorney. But while he's in prison, some things kind of go sideways for him. Um, and again, the darkness of this film is 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 amazing to me for late 1940s, and again, I don't know post war if they were trying to work some stuff out there. But his wife uh, has has committed suicide, and uh, she was supposed to be taken care of by uh, the you know the, the the mafia criminal members who who he was involved with and and wasn't, and had financial problems, and she ends up killing herself, and her kids are sent to the orphanage, and all of these things are revealed to him. And this then changes his mind and leads him into a place where he he is willing to dig up some information on on some criminal personalities and and once again we we mentioned Richard Widmark here because Tommy Tommy Udo is uh, the most colorful uh, nasty sociopathic uh, villain I think we probably saw in in the month and this is essentially who. Nick, when he gets out, hangs out with, and then and then rats out, and then uh, I, a trial where he actually testifies. Um, it goes sideways, and and Tommy is released and is not actually given prison prison time, uh, which needs leads Nick and his kids and uh, their former nanny, who, who becomes his new wife, leads them to kind of go into hiding here. But uh, there's there's ways that he can be found and. Soon, kind of realizes that the police and the district attorney can only protect him so far, and he needs to take uh, these actions into his own hands. And it it's just a thrilling third act, which is it was already a thrilling film for two thirds of it. But um, and, and just a just an amazing those two performances. But uh, Victor Mature, who um, again now is on my list of uh, he maybe among some of my one of my favorite actors now that I've seen a bit more of his work this, this past month, but plays the complexity so well. And uh, again, the, the scheme he comes up with towards the end uh, and, it, it, and it leads to almost like a, just an amazing choice towards the end that, again, people may see some things coming with this. Uh, I, I guess if you've seen movies like this, it's some some things are a little bit predictable, but I, I just simply do not care because it's such a compelling film. Like I have very few negatives about this. Uh, quick shout out, Carl Malden, who would show up in a lot of these films, Canadian actor plays a, a police officer in the film as well, so I just wanted to mention that. Kiss of Death is a must-watch. This is my my top two here are now among some of my favorite films of all time. Here, so Kiss of Death is as good as its reputation, and people really do need to check it out. It is what film noir should be, and this is this would be if I was teaching a class on film noir, I would show this one as a as a perfect example of of when everything works well. The the, the, the writing, the directing, acting, the star power, the characters, the tone, everything about it is, is excellent. So please, please, please check out Kiss of Death. Remarkably, it is number two. If I hadn't have had an emotional connection to another film that I'm about to talk about, it may have been number one for me for uh, Noir November. And then we come to number one. To me, this is the, the closest film to perfection that I saw in The War in November. It's called Cry of the City. The story of the ruthless killer
3: known as Martin Rome is the most penetrating cry ever to rise from the sidewalks of the world's greatest city, New York. Thousands of readers of this best-selling novel titled The Chair for Martin Rome were thrilled by this shocking story of conflict between law and lawlessness. Now, all of its stirring scenes are reproduced on the screen in Cry of the City. Every one of them filmed in its actual locale.
2: I have enough of that when I'm a kid. Crummy tenements, no food, no clothes. Save it for the jury, Marty. Who do you think you're kidding? I was brought up in the district too. I've heard that dialogue from you pool room hotshots ever since I was ten years old. Get hit. Only suckers work. Don't be a square. Stay with the smart money. Let the old man get the calluses digging the ditches. No food, no clothes, crummy tenements. You're breaking my heart, Marty.
3: Why did you have to shoot? Why did you kill?
2: Get his gun. Stay where you are, Tony. There won't be any shooting in this house as long as Mama's here. I'm a little disappointed in you, Marty. You're a big boy now. Pretty
3: funny fella. You don't think I'll shoot? Just make a move, Candela, we see.
0: by Robert Sayotomek from 1948 and stars Victor Mature, as, uh, as, as I mentioned. He was a ex-con criminal in the previous film. This film, he gets to be a police officer, and Richard Conti in a near-perfect uh, performance as Martin Rome. And when we start off the film, Martin's in the hospital. Uh, he's been shot. Uh, He is a lifelong criminal, and he has now committed the ultimate crime. He has killed a police officer. So because of that, the police are going to make his life horrible. As it turns out, he has this uh, younger girlfriend uh, who comes to visit him in the hospital, and there's some other criminal personalities and this shady lawyer who come in and want him to take the rap for a crime he didn't commit. And if not, then uh, some things are going to be happening where this young girl is going to be implicated. And that's enough of a motivation for him to get healthy and find a way to get out of prison and to do what he needs to do to try to save this girl. But his counterpart is Lieutenant Candela, played by Victor Mature, who is also very well known in this Italian-American neighborhood and the film just does such a great job of the community of italian americans at that time in new york city and how everybody knows each other and in the sense like that you know um we, we we look at essentially the criminal's family but that this police officer is almost like a son to this mother as well because he comes around and pays respects to her but he also knows that he's gonna to have to track down this guy, get him into prison. And he is a good cop, but he's in a dangerous situation. And we see the good points of of Martin's character, and he but there's no doubt he is a killer now. He has committed all kinds of crimes. He is a lifelong criminal. And the other kind of tragedy in here that we're looking at is how much with Martin, his younger brother, looks up to him as is following in his footsteps and is gonna do anything. And, you know, is very anti-police, of course. So when um, Victor Matur comes to the house, then he's, he gets a whole bunch of disrespect from uh, the younger brother. And then the mother and is trying to say, no, don't talk to a police officer like that and trying to keep things going. But she certainly is in a tough position herself because she loves her son. and. When when he comes home after all these things have kind of gone uh, wrong for him, and he just needs a place to rest, but then that kind of uh, kind of falls apart there for him. So you know, I j- just like Kiss of Death, I could say you, you maybe will know where some things are going to land um, by by the end of the film if you've watched en- enough movies. But again, this is another film where I just I just li- like a great Scorsese film, or the best of Coppola or De Palma, or any of those. Those great filmmakers of uh, you know late '60s, uh, throughout the '70s and onward, who deal with uh, crime and, and and crime in New York City, the the story is just so so good that you don't care if you can kind of figure out where where things might go. But this this back and forth between the Italian police officer and the criminal is. As compelling as a movie like Michael Mann's Heat with Pacino and De Niro facing off against against each other. Again, I I, I like how the characters are, are are fully realized in this film. the the love you you just feel the love of these characters and you know it's, uh, kind of a small role for the girlfriend, but there's reasons that she is in love with this older man. You get it. But with Conte's performance, it's such a great balance because. We, we kind of feel sorry for him and we're going along with him. But there are points when you see, like, no, this guy is a criminal. This is a bad guy. We are not supposed to be siding with him. And in the climax, there's some actions that he takes where we completely and totally now can say, all right, no, like, we, we've been cheering for this guy. And certainly he's not the, the most evil character in, in this. Uh, and he's part of this, you know, ongoing cycle of crime that's going on in his family, for sure, but he he is a bad guy, yet we like him, and we see his good qualities as well, and to me, that that is just when a film, as particularly this time 1948, can achieve those levels, then it is something special, and maybe I'm overly enthusiastic about Cry of the City, because I hadn't really heard of it before looking at uh, some options for film noir November here. And it completely and totally exceeded my expectations to the point where I was, I, I felt emotional and felt like I had been through just something, something that had had changed my life. That's how good it was by the end. And it was as, as, as good as any of the great crime films that I've seen and are among my favorite films of all time. So after I saw Cry of the City, it would have had, had to have been something pretty special that would have uh, moved it out of first place. And I didn't. Some came close, but uh, it, nothing. Nothing got quite to the level of *Pride of the City* for me. It was hands down my favorite film of uh, Noir in November. I think this should be a classic. Uh, I, I think this would is a movie I should have heard of before. Kind of like some of the others, like Brute Force* and um, *Sweet Smell of Success* and *The Postman Always ring, Rings Twice*. Uh, but I, I, I hadn't, and I'm, I'm so happy that I have seen it. So. I cannot recommend highly enough *Cry of the City* from 1948. If you ever get the opportunity or find a way to to watch *Cry of the City*, do it. As I've been saying about uh, all ten of these movies. So, thank you so much for uh, joining me for this different type of top ten episode and focusing on film noir. I, I really enjoyed doing this kind of quieter, more personal challenge. Not one where I was kind of posting about what I was watching on uh, on on social media as much as I've done with some of the other ones. And I, I just wanted to get something out there for, for the show on this um, because I had such a great time with it and just promote some movies from the 40s and 50s. I think it's good to take a look at the history of cinema and and, and look at some older movies and contrast it with some more contemporary ones to kind of see where we're at in uh, this ever-changing time for, uh, for movies. Before I go, as usual, please uh, support some other... Uh, friends of the show with their podcasts uh, rank and review schlock and awe film feast and a lifetime of hallmark all all friends of the show and all great podcasts to listen to and um, i'm looking forward to producing a few more episodes uh, over now and as we start to move into 2023 and uh, i i would still encourage people to be be safe and to be kind uh, to one another and seeing like this wonderful array of films that I watched this last month. I just love the movies and I would encourage you to please continue supporting the movies through whatever means you can and go to movie theaters. In the next few months, there's going to be some really exciting releases coming up. Thank you for listening to this special episode on Film Noir. Take care.